Good morning. On behalf of the elders uh, of the Bind Church here in Temple, Texas, I want to welcome you to our worship services this morning, this Easter morning. And you know, Easter is a really important time in the calendar of the Christian church because Easter is the time when we focus specifically on the resurrection of Jesus Christ, Jesus Messiah. Just a little bit of context around that. It says in the Bible that Jesus died on a Roman cross. And Jesus died on that cross as the Lamb of God, the one who died there to take away the sins of all mankind, of all time, to take away and atone for the sin that would separate us from our Holy Father, God. Jesus, the Lamb of God, the atoning sacrifice. And that sin killed him. And so he's laid in a tomb, and he's dead. But on the third day, the power of God swept into that tomb and breathed life back into Jesus. And Jesus rose in bodily form. And he was among us for a while, continuing to teach and minister for a little while. And then, in the presence of his apostles, he ascended into heaven to be seated at the right hand of the throne of God. And there he is, and we await his second coming someday. And so, yes indeed, this is a day of celebration. This is a day that tells us that death is not the end of the story. Life, resurrection, is the end of God's story. Praise be to God. This is a day of gratitude. It's a day of victory. And we want you to know that we are so glad that you are here to celebrate this day and this time of worship and praise with us. Thank you for being here with us. The stories told over the pages of the Bible are full of sorrow, fear, disappointment, and failure. Battles are lost, enemies of all types prevail, and doubts are aplenty. Repeatedly, we find people who feel ill-equipped for the task to which they've been called or unprepared for the moment in which they find themselves. They are scared, anxious, stubborn, uneasy, and often make unwise choices. People and nations face persecution, disease, famine, oppression, and more. There even comes a point in the narrative of Scripture when it appears that evil and darkness have won. This seemingly climatic moment comes as Jesus, the promised Messiah, is crucified. Surely this must be a sign that all hope is irreparably lost and that the darkness has finally overcome the light. But the cross is not the end of the story. The empty tomb shines as a beacon of Christ's victory over sin and death. It's a picture of God's ever-present and unfailing love, proof that he will not abandon his son to the grave or his people to hopelessness. The God who raised Christ from the grave is also at work in the fearful, hesitant, and flawed individuals we find on nearly every page of scripture, leading them forward, holding them up, covering them with grace and mercy. Wherever you find yourself in your story this morning, our prayer is that you are able to find hope in the risen Savior and strength in the power of the Holy Spirit who is at work in you as well. The empty tomb is a reminder that while darkness may cast a long shadow, it cannot overcome the light of the world. Not then, not now, 
not ever. Today, we worship the risen Savior, our living hope, whose resurrection points to the renewal, redemption, and restoration available to all through the grace of God. Today, we worship the great I Am, who was and is and is to come. We worship with gladness, even in periods of great darkness, because we trust that darkness has been defeated and the chains of sin have been broken through the resurrection of Christ our Lord. And it is in that trust that we stand secure in hope. So we proclaim today and every day that He is risen. He is risen. He is risen indeed. As your elders, we want you to know that we are praying for you as individuals and families and for our church family as a whole. We eagerly await the day when we will be able to join together in person and in worship and in fellowship. We anticipate that to be a day when resurrection imagery will take on a new meaning, weight, and emotion. Today, we invite and encourage you to approach His throne in worship with glad and sincere hearts, trusting that the power and work in the resurrection of Christ is at work in each of us. For the joy set before Him, Jesus endured the cross. May His sacrifice, love, and resurrection lift our hearts and fill us with hope. And may we worship today as people with great joy. Isn't it good to still be able to have these, these times of, of praise and worship together? And so I, like I know many of you are as well, am, am appreciative of Chris and Emily and their willingness to come and, and to record those songs for us so that we can still have this experience of, of worshiping together from our separate locations. And last week we began a series simply titled Hope. And hope is a word that, that we know well, or it is at least a word that, that we use often enough to give the appearance that we know it well. Uh, generally speaking, the concept of hope is that we are, are desiring something good or beneficial or positive for the future. And so when we use the word hope in, in common conversation or, or in our common vocabulary, we often use it interchangeably with words like want or, or wish. And we intuitively know that, that hoping something will happen means acknowledging that it may in fact not happen. It may even be that, that I rationally know that, that there's a low probability of whatever it is that I'm, that I'm hoping for, that there's, that there's not a great chance that that's actually going to happen or that it will actually come about. But I can always hope, right? And so in many cases, our use of the word hope would, would indicate at least some level of doubt or uncertainty. Like imagine that there are, that there are two people getting married. And, and so they're standing next to each other and the officiant is, is in front of them. And the officiant says to one of them, will you honor, love, cherish this, per this person for as long as you live or something like that. And, and the person's response then is, I hope so. I'm like, wait, what, what a minute, you, you hope so? <laughs> you might as well just say maybe, right? Like, what, why are we here? What are we doing if, if you hope so? 
I guarantee you that answer, that response, isn't going to fly from the person standing next to him, right? Because hope indicates a lack of certainty. At least it does in the ways that we typically think about it and use the word. The writers of Scripture talk a lot about hope as well. And, and sometimes the writers of Scripture use hope in, in similar context to how we typically use it or how we would think of it. But they also talk about a much more robust hope that is distinctive to the Christian faith. A hope that does not put us to shame. A hope that serves as an anchor for our soul. And, and so there's this idea then that, that permeates the message of the New Testament that hope in Christ is assurance of an expected and promised future. And that type of hope pushes directly against an understanding of hope that is wrapped in optimism and tinged with uncertainty. And so how do we reconcile these, these two ways of, of thinking about and talking about hope. Because if, if I'm so accustomed to using the word hope as, as somewhat of a substitute for words like want or wish, it might be hard for me to fully internalize this, this other hope that will not put me to shame. And, and even more, it's going to lead to some disappointment and frustration with God when I keep hearing and, and reading about this hope in Christ, but life doesn't always go the way that I want or wish or hope that it will. And so we're going to come back to that at the end, because maybe you find yourself struggling with, with some of that tension recently, and that's, that's something that you've been, been wrestling with. So like I said, we'll come back to that. But, but first, I want to start here. All hope is based on something. And so if you, if you go to a new restaurant hoping that it will be good, your hope may be based on, on reviews that you've read online. It may be based on recommendations from your friends. It may even simply be based on the fact that you really hope that new restaurant down the street lives up to its name of Fajita Kings. Fingers crossed. You can always hope, right? Even hope that, that doesn't seem to be based on much of anything is still tied to something. Like if I'm hoping that, that something will turn out better than I realistically or, or rationally expect it to, I might say that my hope is, is based on my optimistic personality. And so if someone then presses me on, on the unlikelihood of, of whatever it is that I am hoping for, I might say something like, well, you know, I'm just a glass half full type of person. And so hope could be based simply on our, our perception of our outlook on life or even of, of a particular situation. But hope is always based on something. It's, it's tethered to something. It's connected to something. And that means that there is a direct correlation between the likelihood of my hope being realized and the character, the viability, 
the integrity and track record of whatever or whoever it is that I am basing my hope in. And this is why I think the writers of, of the New Testament place so much emphasis and importance on the resurrection. Because the early church leaders tied their hope to the resurrection of Christ. Their hope in Christ is, is completely tethered to and connected to his resurrection. That's the event that, that is holding all of this together. The hope of Christians, of Christ followers, is based on the empty tomb. And so we find this concept on, on full display, I believe, in 1 Corinthians 15. For Paul, everything points back to and is built on the truth and the hope of the resurrection. And so in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 3 through 5, he says this. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. And, and so he keeps going from there, but, but he says that this is of first importance. Everything else falls under, under these things. That Christ died, he was buried, he resurrected to new life, and he was seen by others. Everything else is, is based on and, and tied to these core truths. And so the rest of, of Scripture then, then revolves around the scene of the empty tomb. And just a few verses later, Paul kind of starts what is basically a, a theological argument for the concept of resurrection in general. Just, just talking about resurrection sort of generally. And and I'm going to condense about 40-something verses here down to a much shorter and digestible reading. <laughs> but, but I want us to listen to the ways in which he is, is making this case and, and the ways in which his case is tied to or tethered to Christ's resurrection. And, and as a result, listen to the high stakes that Paul is placing on the veracity of the resurrection account. So I'm going to pick up again in chapter 15, pick up in verse 12. And like I said, I'm going to skip around a bit. So it may be difficult to follow along in, in your Bible, but the words will be on the screen as I read here. But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised... Our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. When the perishable have been clothed with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality, 
Then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O oh death, is your victory? Where, O oh death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. That is Paul's idea of hope. That we know, that we have confidence, that we have assurance that our labor in the Lord will not be in vain. Uh, Christian hope is tied to the resurrection because Jesus' resurrection is the final blow to sin and death. It empties death of its power over us because the hope that we have in Christ is not only hope for this life, and so if death has been stripped of its power, what else does evil have as a weapon to use against us? As one writer has written, the sacrifice of Jesus is the ultimate gift of love offered to a world distorted by hate, where death is wielded as the supreme weapon. The cross is where God receives the most vicious blow of human sin, turns the other cheek, and forgives. And, and the fruit of that forgiveness and of Christ's work on the cross is what we find in the resurrection. In the cross, we find an antidote to the human need for, for vengeance and retaliation. We find a Savior who would rather die than kill his enemies. We find a Savior willing to put an end to the sacrificial system by becoming an unblemished sacrifice for us and, and bringing about freedom and reconciliation in ways that no sacrifice under the law ever could really bring about. And, and so it is the confidence of the empty tomb and, and all that we see in Jesus' death and resurrection that allows us to hold on to this hope, not as a wish, but as an anchor, as, as something that that grounds us and secures us. And I think part of the problem, part of the problem that we run into at times is, is that we can end up tethering our hope to our expectations of God. That, that our hope isn't so much tethered to the resurrection or, or, or tethered to the, the promises of God, but that it becomes tethered to our expectations of God. And as I said earlier, that can, that can lead to some tension when I keep hearing about hope in, in Christ, but, but life doesn't go the way that, that I had hoped that it would. And what I mean by that is that sometimes we, we place 
our expectations and, and hopes on God so that our hope in God manifests itself in, in a belief that God must act in the way that I think he should in the here and now. And when that happens, we end up feeling like he has failed us. Like he wasn't there when we needed him most. It leads to anger, frustration, and fear. Because things in this life aren't always going to go as we plan, think, want, or hope. And, and we aren't promised or, or guaranteed release from, from the pains or, or the griefs, the hardships of a fallen world that, that is groaning for redemption. In fact, Paul would say that it's, it's probably more likely that, that some of life's suffering is, is actually only going to increase in Christ. Like, I, I think that's why he says that, that if Christ wasn't raised from the dead, then we are to be pitied above anyone else. More than anyone else, we are most to be pitied. Because that's what our hope is anchored to. And if that's not true, then all of this, all of this is nothing. It's futile. It's useless. Useless, Paul says. But Paul, Paul is so assured of the resurrected Christ that he considers any and everything in this world, good or bad, to pale in comparison to the glory of Christ. And so, so maybe you have struggled recently because you feel God isn't working or, or moving or providing in the ways that you would have hoped. And if that's where you are today, then, then I hope that you are comforted and strengthened by the fact that Christ followers have, have been struggling with this tension of life not going as they had hoped since the day of Christ's resurrection, literally since that day. We talked about that last week. Uh, and know, know that Jesus joins you in your struggle, your struggle for answers, for purpose, maybe even for, for meaning. But our hope is tethered to the resurrection of Christ. And that hope is based on God's promise that he has rescued us from sin and death and placed eternity in our hearts with the deposit of his spirit. And in that hope, we recognize that nothing in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord, the risen Savior who defeated death and reconciled us to God. Christian hope, then, means living with, with a trust in God's promised future based on a faith and trust in God's character, love, and activity. As Paul says in Galatians, Though through the Spirit, by faith, we wait expectantly for the hope of righteousness. And so... We wait with joy. We wait with joy because we, we have been released from, from the bondage of sin and, and we have been clothed instead with, with freedom, 
righteousness and forgiveness of the crucified and resurrected Savior. We wait with eagerness, ready to join Christ in his work of reconciling the world to God. And we wait with gladness, even in times of despair or uncertainty. Not because we, we minimize or trivialize the pain and difficulty of this world, nor do we seek to, to shame or belittle those caught in, in the grasp of those pains or difficulties because we all find ourselves there at some point. But we wait with gladness because the gaze of our hope lifts our head above the horizons of our present troubles to the surpassing glory of knowing Christ. All because... He is risen. The tomb is empty. And we have Christ as our living hope, the hope of glory. Each Sunday at Divine, we remember this Christ and this hope that we have in him through the sharing of communion. And as we break bread and, and drink the cup, we are reminded of his body that he gave for us. We proclaim his death until he comes again. Because the hope of the resurrection looks back to what it is connected to, but it also encourages us to look forward to when he will come again. And so in communion, we remember Christ and we proclaim that death in that resurrection until that hope is fully realized in his second coming. And so will you join me in praying our prayer of confession before we share in this time of communion and meditation together. Father, we confess to each other and to you, our creator, that we fall short of being what we were created to be and what we have committed ourselves to be. Hear us, forgive us, renew our resolve to build the kingdom of Christ. We often seek out the easiest paths, paths of least involvement in places where we might be uncomfortable, or paths of self-centeredness. Hear us, forgive us, renew our resolve to build the kingdom of righteousness. We confess that we have not loved you with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind and with all our strength. Bring us out of darkness, Lord, and into the light of your love. Hear us, forgive us, renew our resolve to build the kingdom of light. Forgive us for getting so caught up in the world's trappings and its false messages of hope that we lose sight of the hope of the kingdom, which brings healing and peace to a world in turmoil. Hear us, forgive us, Renew our resolve to build the kingdom of peace. May we resolve to become more kingdom-minded, to be peacemakers here and now. Amen.
I was a slave to the soldier.